Hey folks, before we get started, wanted to discuss our brand new sponsor here at the Brian Nichols Show. And it's one you are familiar with because it is the one and only We Are Libertarians Network. But I have a little bit of a surprise. Yes, we have merch. The We Are Libertarians store is alive and active and it can be found in the show notes. And guys, I, oh my goodness, we have some fantastic um, some fantastic shirts. For, uh, so we have some We Are Libertarian shirts, uh, both with the new logo um, that was re- recently designed, but also the the uh, the old OG logo as well, the Statue of Liberty um, and the Sunburst. Uh, we also have uh, I, uh, I Heart Roads, or I Heart My Roads, uh, My Roads. Um, yours truly, the Brian Nichols Show. We have our brand new, super, super schmexy Brian Nichols Show logo there on a, a couple of shirts. Um, we have polos, we have uh, posters, we have magnets, we have masks. Masks are pretty much mandatory everywhere. If you need a mask, get a Brian Nichols Show mask or a We Are Libertarians mask. You need a coffee cup or a, a knit beanie. I call them a toque up in northern New York, but everybody says I'm an idiot because I say toque and not beanie. Whatever. But you can get that too. And it does say We Are Libertarians, of course. Um, Gingerarchy has uh, some uh, some great shirts there as well. Another one of our fantastic shows. So click the link in the show notes. Support the We Are Libertarians store, but support your friends here at We Are Libertarians by rocking some awesome merch. So, with that, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes, like, homeless people that believe in Bigfoot? <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. I think more and more, actually, more and more leftists, I think, are starting to wake up to the idea of a federalist approach to things. Like, I've actually heard people like, if California could break away, that'd be pretty cool. And I'm like, it would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Let's have that conversation, shall we? (laughs) Yeah, I don't want that to happen. Uh, no, actually, well, I'm fine if California broke away. I well, you'd move over here, right? No, no, I want all of you to come to California and kick the socialists out. All right, guys, hello, welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in to the Freckles and Brit show. I'm Brit, this is my amazing co host, Freckles, and today our guest is. Brian Nichols. He is an associate editor of the Libertarian Republic. He also hosts the Brian Nichols Show, and you can find him on Twitter at B Nichols Liberty. Thank you so much for coming on. Ladies, thanks for having me on. <laughs> we are uh, really glad that you were able to make it. I know it's Father's Day. Everybody's like busy. By the time people see this show, it'll be Tuesday, and they'll have forgotten all about their dads. <laughs> but right now, they're <laughs> important. They're all going to get a tie and some barbecue sauce and you know, whatever else you give dads. I don't know. My dad's like an old hippie surfer. So (laughs) you can imagine the crazy gifts we've given him over the years. So, um, Brian. Hi. (laughs) I know we've been talking forever. Like, so I I don't mean to take over your own show. I say, but Britt and I have been talking for like 15 minutes before. Just like, as soon as we started talking, just going off. It's, it's cool. And and Freckle, of course, now her building's on fire behind her. She's been, she's been busy. Yeah, this is a Wendy's. This is a Wendy's. <laughs> so, yeah, I, Wendy's. I tried to get in. I kept trying to get in, and it wouldn't let me. It was like, error, bad password. And I'm like, 
okay, like, I guess, I guess Brian's freckled today. Like, that's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, my flaming red hair. I know. I'm very... <laughs> never replaced gray. you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we need a redhead on the show, so... You know, if we were going to replace you, it couldn't be Brian. So <laughs> no, I'm, I'm missing some of the crucial components, but I will say like technical stuff happens all the time. Like, I, I mean, I've been doing my show now, and I was saying this beforehand, Brett, like I've been doing it for two years and uh, actually two and a half years now, which is wild to think about. Um, but I, I had, you know, Brad Palumbo on my show um, just this, this past week. And literally it took us like probably 15, 20 minutes just to get Skype to work. Um, so I ended up like aborting Skype and just going right over to a google hangouts or something like that so yeah even for like us seasoned vets who've been doing it for you know how many weeks is in a year 52 weeks so like 170 some odd weeks eight weeks in like you got you're fine (laughs) a-okay um i was telling brian off the air off the show however you say it with podcasts i don't know um (laughs) that we've only been doing this for eight weeks and every time someone comes on they're like, you guys have only been doing this six weeks, seven weeks. We're like, yeah, I mean, maybe this is, week. I think this might be week nine or week 10, but yeah, we are brand new at this and we are going to actually, I feel like we're going to ride that like, oh, we're brand new at this until the wheels fall off. <laughs> like, yeah, we're, we're, brand new we're still pretty new at this. <laughs> yep. Five yeah. years in, we're new. Don't worry. Like <laughs> we're still learning. Happens. <laughs> we're not professionals. Um, when we booked you on the show i had a different direction i kind of wanted to talk to you about and i can't even remember because the world has just the world is on fire so so i'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> again i so i went to message you today Britt, and the last message i had sent was like six weeks ago and i was like hopefully that the next time we reconnect the world isn't on fire like murder yes. hornets which was the thing <laughs> a lot's changed since I we know. last connected can you imagine when murder hornets was the biggest issue that we had in life? Um, Tiger yeah. King, simpler days. Remember that? I oh, know. I yeah. I mean, I remember thinking during that time, like, oh, what is this? Week three in the mask? Maybe we'll be out of them soon. <laughs> like, this can't go on for much longer. We were yeah. so wrong. The whole world is um, on fire, and that we're just. I, I have no answers. We're just going <laughs> to keep asking Just like Freckled Wendy's. There's a, yeah. yeah. Is this the Wendy's um, from Atlanta? It is the Wendy's from Atlanta. Brian, I'm sure you heard, you've seen the story. For anybody that hasn't seen the story, there was a man that was um, shot three times by police this past week in Atlanta. Um, he was pulled over for a DUI and he was actually, he was pulled over in the Wendy's parking lot. He was asleep. According to the police report in the video um, and what the officers were saying on the video that they found him in the parking lot asleep. They had to jostle him awake and they had him pull his car over to the side. Um, The initial video said that he was shot in the back. I watched the whole police um, camera footage it looked like they talked to him about for about 40, 45 minutes. Um, and he took their taser, which the DA said is not a deadly weapon. However, last week, that same DA said that a taser is a deadly weapon. So I'm not sure when a taser is or isn't a deadly weapon. I don't know. Um, I'm not a DA and I'm not a taser expert. Um, this seems to be the same logic they use for gun control, you know. 
the guns mm-hmm. kill people until people kill people. I don't, it's like, so, yeah. Um, yeah. And then um, for some reason, this was Wendy's fault. So they just decided <laughs> to burn the Wendy's down. Um, thoughts? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it's, artists. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, what we have to do is kind of approach this like a doctor would, right? So when a patient comes in and they're sick, the first thing the doctor does is is to try to identify the root of the problem, right? Because you want to make sure that you're you're treating the actual cause of, of the symptoms. So in this case, I think the number one thing that we have to look at is what are we asking our police officers to do? Um, and I think we across the board, regardless of your political affiliation, whether you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, progressive, conservative, libertarian, I don't care. I think we can all agree that law enforcement right now has way too much that they have to do. Um, you know, and actually, I, I've spoke about this with Matt Kitty back a couple weeks ago when he's on my show, and uh, we, we talked about the, the Twitter um, profile, a crime a day, and and the the running joke of that that Twitter page is that it shouldn't exist because every day people commit a felony on average. I think it's actually three felonies per day, and and I, I, it drives me crazy because I see this narrative, especially from the right, um, that well, if if you just didn't break the law, then you would have nothing to worry about. I'm like, well, listen. It, it's it's easy to say just don't break the law, but when when you could break the law for doing nothing. So actually, um, good friend of our, ours, Hody Johns, over on the big channel, We Are Libertarians, um, just did a great um, video review of a, an African American gentleman who was pulled over driving 65 in a 70 mile per hour speed limit zone, and the reason the officer pulled him over was because he was driving too slow. Um, and then he starts questioning him about you know where did he get this car from and, and you know where is he coming from work and a lot of questions that really the officer shouldn't be asking. Um, but really you think about what, what, what have these officers been tasked to do? And, and this is, I think we need to acknowledge the root of the problem. And it's that we have, um, are, are we allowed to curse on the show? Yes. Yeah, All right. You have little in office, both Republicans and Democrats who will not tell the truth um, to their constituents. In this case, the truth is, is that in many um, local jurisdictions, in order to provide, provide the services that they want to continue to provide, they have to have revenue to come in to support them. And in a, especially in Republican-held districts, they will not look at their voters in the eye and say, we are going to raise your taxes. So what they do is they then leverage their law enforcement officials to then be basically the, the, the collection arm for revenue for their, their localities, their municipalities, their, their counties, their states. And now your law enforcement has not become a, a means of, of serving, protecting, but rather of going out and, and procuring money and, and pure, procuring revenue for, for these different agencies. So we have to really re-examine what's the role of police. I mean, it, you can go and listen to the big channel, We Are Libertarians, and we have a, a series called The Cost. And one of the series we, we discussed was um, Rachel's story. And, and basically, it was a story about domestic violence and how she called the police. I forget how many times it was. I think it was like 15 some odd times. And and the story, I mean, the police officer saying, well, why didn't you shake your boobs at him? Because if you had done that and you got to stick around, I could have arrested him. If he had stuck around, I caught him doing it. It's like, that's that's the mentality that a police officer has with somebody who's committing domestic violence, a violent crime. I think we can all agree is bad. But then when you look at uh, 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 he's going out now and, and patrolling for for basically patrolling for revenue, he's like a shark in the water hunting for fish. And and this, the sad thing is, is that if you were to ask your average police officer, they're like, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just following orders. And they're right. They are just following orders. So 
I think we have to have a, a come to Jesus moment as an electorate because the reality is in America, we are a democracy, um, you know, democratic republic, but we, we by and large are democracy. Our local officials are elected uh, pr predominantly by a democratic, you know, 50 plus one majority vote. And, and with that, when we elected these people, we have to acknowledge that anytime they pass a law, at the end of the day, it is enforced at the end of a gun. Um, and, and if we are willing to accept that, then, then that's on us. But we now have to, to realize that when we're voting for these elected officials, I think that the best response is to now say, listen, we have, we have way too many laws. And I think we have to have a serious conversation about starting to scale back some of these, these number one, just completely pointless laws. I mean, there, there are so many laws that are outdated that are still on the books that are utilized in, in just very one-off areas where they, they're trying to get somebody just because they need to get somebody. Um, but like, we need to have a very serious conversation about scaling back laws. We have a serious conversation about ending the war on drugs that is the number one um, cause of, of, of all these issues. Because I mean, you can basically look for any, um, you know, any drug issue and say that it's going to have, you know, a felony attached to it. Now you're putting people away for, you know, for in some cases life. Um, so we need to have a serious conversation there. We need to have a serious conversation about police unions. Uh, and, and we also need to have a serious conversation about qualified immunity, um, which thankfully there are folks like Justin Amash out there in Congress who are leading the charge. Um, and also ending no-knock raids. I mean, look at what happened with Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, that, that is because of a no-knock raid. Look at Duncan Lemp. I mean, I did a whole conversation um, over on the, uh, the Friends Against Government podcast, uh, and, and we discussed, you know, his name was Duncan Lemp because that's a conversation that was not being discussed, and yet Breonna Taylor, the same exact thing happens. This stuff is happening to people across all the, all, all the races, and, and I think we need to acknowledge as, as American people, but also just as a people in general, that it's not right, and, and we, we need to realize that it, this is a, is a human conversation. It's not a, a black versus white. It's not a red versus blue. It's, it's a, you know, what's right versus wrong, and in this case, I I don't see any argument for a no-knock raid. I don't see any argument for, for you know, police hunting down people to basically just get, get money to pay for, for services in your communities. So I, I think, again, the, the ultimate conversation going full circle to, to what's happening in Atlanta is what are the police doing? Why, why, why are we having men with guns going and approaching people who are, who are sleeping in cars in their parking lot if they're drunk? Like, think, think about it. Like, why, why is that the, the approach? And, and, well, he could be armed. Okay, well, why would he be armed? What, what, what's, what's he afraid of? Why, why would he feel the, the need to defend himself against people? Maybe because his community is, is ravaged by, by crime, and the crime is ravaged because you have black markets that are now creating these, these, these environments, uh, these communities where you have no sunlight to, to help you know, make the, the marketplace clear and make the marketplace safe. And, and now you have you know, these, these communities that are in this perpetual cycle of, of crime-ridden activities, and it's really perpetuated by the, the system. And this is what they mean. They say systematic racism, right? And that, I hear that term, people get so mad at it. But like, that's what we're talking about, is when you have these laws in place that, that do disproportionately impact people, especially people of color, that is where we have the biggest problem. And that's what we need to address. And again, I think it starts out, number one, saying, what is the role of a police officer? I made a, um, I had mentioned this on Twitter last week and made a post saying that um, we can continue this, this call for defund the police, but a couple things. One, we're all responsible for this, which people did not like, mm -hmm. because I understand there's people that say, um, Adam Kokish actually corrected me on this about something about us going to war, saying, don't say that we are part of the problem. The problem is when it comes to the police and it comes to the laws in this country, we are a part of it because we are complicit in it because we mm -hmm. at some point as Americans just said, 
mm, we'll vote for it. If it doesn't go our way, we'll just keep going about our lives. And well, I don't agree with burning down a Wendy's. I understand the sentiment of protesting because people are now angry enough to do it. I, I was for protesters not wearing masks and for protesters against black life, you know, for, for black lives matter. Um, and I actually said, I think just a couple days ago that I don't agree with black lives matter, the organization, but I do agree with the sentiment of, you know, black lives matter. Um, I think the bigger issue that we have to look at is that this is happening to everyone. And I think the people saying all lives matter and look, this happens to police and the, or this happens to, to white people too. This happens to Latinos too. Why that's aren't you point. out in the street? <laughs> like that, one, that's a point. Two, then why aren't you out there? Why aren't right. you out there protesting every time, you know, a, a Duncan Lamp or, uh, you know, the 400 women in Prince George that have been raped by police officers? It just goes like that nobody says anything about. Uh, mm -hmm. It's like we don't, it, it's because white people don't go out and do that every single time. They, they it just doesn't happen. So and I feel like I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. But I ahead. feel like until we start like showing white people that, Hey, this is a problem for us too. I feel like that's the fastest way to get them on the side of like, wow, police are kind of sometimes. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. A lot. Well, and we had the them. And if I could, like we, we, we almost had them too. When you look at the COVID lockdowns, there was a lot of people on the right and I'd say, let's be real, predominantly from the right, it, it tends to be more white, right? And, and we had a lot of people who were, who were definitely starting to question, like, why, why are police officers taking this mom and her kid off a playground? Like, what? What are we doing? Yeah. And, and we had a really good opportunity for a red pilling right there with a lot of people. And I think, I think that sentiment's still there. And if they start to really reinforce this whole idea of another lockdown, like part two, I think you're going to get a lot of people who are going to be like, no. And, and what are they going to do? You're going to have somebody who has to enforce that. And that's going to be the law enforcement officers. And I think you're going to find a lot of people who, who are, they're not going to stand for it anymore. Yeah. You know, I think the George Floyd thing was even enough for like a lot of people on the right to be like, oh, yeah. wow, cops are like, like doing the most. Up? Like you can't, you can't just murder someone for like standing there. Like yeah. you can't do that. And so, the worst part was that girl. she's like, you're going to kill him. You're going to kill them. And then like hearing that, like that just speaks to like, it was obvious what was happening. And, and the police officer didn't even bat an eye. And like, I think part of the problem is that you look at these law enforcement officers and, and often what happens is they have no, no affiliation to the, the localities that they are police officers in. Um, you know, for example, you, you'll have, and I forget the exact term they have for it, but, but there's a, an expression for when you watch the, uh, the police officers in the morning driving back to their suburbs when they're done with their shifts at night, because a lot of police officers, they don't live in the communities that they patrol. So when you see the police officer in, in Minneapolis who has his knee on George Floyd's neck, he doesn't know George Floyd. He doesn't know George Floyd's. I mean, he might know George Floyd. I know there's possible interaction before, but he doesn't, he doesn't know his family. He doesn't have a, a, he doesn't live in George Floyd's community. He doesn't have to deal with the, not only the ramifications of, of his action in being a police officer and, and ultimately killing George Floyd, but now that, that community impact, I mean, that, that's a devastated community. And I mean, think about whenever, you know, a noted person in your community passes away, like there is, there is a community wide mourning. And 
Think about that when it's done at behest of the state, not only behest of the state, but it's predominantly happening to people who just happen to look like you. And, and I think that's part of the problem is a lot of white people, they, they hear these instances of police brutality when it's done on, on black people and they're, they're shocked, they're horrified. But when you tell this to a, a black person, you know, Harry, Harry Price and the big network, um, you know, we, he just did a great episode where he was discussing this as well. And he's like, yeah, like that's, this is the norm. Like when you, when we hear these stories, this is what our life is. And, and, you know, we, we, we've kind of gotten to the point that we accept it. Whereas, you know, that's, that's how different the mentality when we approach this issue really is. So we have a lot of, I mean, I think this has been a really great chance for a lot of white folks. And I'm generalizing obviously, because I mean, it is, it is a, a, it seems to be a big issue for white people realize how, how really ingrained this issue is in America. And this has been a great opportunity for a lot of people to wake up. Um, you know, seeing people from a very conservative area where I'm from up in Northern New York and seeing people supporting, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protesting in, in droves. And I'm like, that would never have happened five years ago. Not at all. After Ferguson, they were completely all lives matter. You know, that, that, that was the mentality. And now to see those exact same people who, who are starting to get it, 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 it does give me a little bit of hope. So I think, I think maybe we were, we're on the right pathway. And when you see such a support for like the actual solutions, right? Qual- ending qualified immunity, ending these no-knock raids, and they're getting bipartisan and in some cases tripartisan support, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say this, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I do think that the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor cases were much stronger, like pr- police brutality cases than what happened in Atlanta. I don't, Mm-hmm. Well, I think Atlanta, while the policy of like, yeah, you know, he was just like passed out of his car, like he wasn't driving or anything. I feel like the um, after he was breathalyzed and he, he was about to get cuffed, the fighting, the stealing the taser, the shooting that they're trying to shoot the taser. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it, felony murder. Can I, can, I, can I jump on that? So sure. I think it also goes to um, the lack of the, the lack of need to learn alternative means of subduing, um, you know, subduing people who, who maybe need to be, um, you know, detained for a little bit, right? So you, you can go and, and watch, you know, a UFC fight and you can see these, these grown men take down another grown man in, in seconds with, you know, arm bars and, and you know, different, uh, you know, maneuvers and such. Our police officers, they have maneuvers, but I mean, go, there, there are so many alternative means that are out there, but there's no incentive structure in place for the police to adopt these because there is no competing, you know, really competing um, police infrastructure out there. So I think uh, part of the, the conversation needs to be looking at creating alternative forms of, of law enforcement. And I think it, it, number one, starts with having a more lo- lo- local-based um, you know, policing force where your police officers, number one, are part of your communities. But number two, your, your police officers now have an incentive to actually you know, serve and protect, not to go out of their way and, and you know, secure revenue, but to, to go out of the way and actually help people. And, and if you had private competing uh, uh, industries, basically, for, for localities that would be you know, policing, basically, now you have, I mean, you wouldn't, if you were, if you were a private company, you, you don't have qualified immunity. So now you have a, an incentive in place to make sure that your officers aren't doing something like they're, they're, they're shooting and killing um, a man who's shooting a taser back at them, right? Now they have alternative means that is at their disposal because now there's an incentive in place to avoid 
um, the negative consequences in the marketplace. Because if your company Fs up, there's going to be another company who's going to fill that void because they're going to be like, hey, listen, our company has the, you know, the highest you know, conviction rate, the highest um, you know, response rate, and, and that's going to be the best way to answer these problems. Instead of having this one overarching you know, rubber stamp, this is how we're going to do policing in America. Because it, and this is the thing for a lot of Republicans, I think, that we need to speak this message to, is that we talk about federalism, right? We say, do you want you know, California to be making the laws for, for all of the United States? Well, absolutely not. Okay. Well, let's let's look at everything else from that perspective. Let's look at the military. Let's look at the policing. Let's look at schooling, and let's let's really get down to a federal, you know, a federalist approach, and let these localities say, "Here's what we need based on you know we live here. We know what our communities need, and then to be able to build that based on those specific needs instead of saying, "Here's a cookie cutter approach for Alaska to Florida, from Maine to California." It doesn't work that way. It never has worked that way. And honestly, when our our framers and founders were starting the nation, it wasn't intended to work that way. And we've so gotten away from where we started out that a lot of people look and say, look at where we are now. This is what happens with the founders and framers. It's like, no, this is what happens when you take what was originally in place and you pervert it time and time again over 200 plus years. Now that's where you get to where we are today. And um, I think more and more, actually more and more leftists, I think are starting to wake up to the idea of a federalist approach to things. Like I've actually heard people like, if California could break away, that'd be pretty cool. And I'm like, it would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Let's have that conversation, shall we? <laughs> yeah. Hey guys, this is Freckles from the Freckles and Brit Show. Our sponsor today is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let my awesome co-host Brit explain. First of all, it's free. Also, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Those are some great features. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I don't want that to happen. No? Uh, actually, well, I'm fine if California broke away. I well, you'd move over here, right? No, no. I want all of you to come to California and kick the socialists out. They just, shouldn't just get do the, the other uh, part of the country. New <laughs> Hampshire. We, we, we have the, um, up in New Hampshire, we have the free state project. I think we just you need to, all, all libertarians. We have to have a day. We're going to be like, we're all going. You, you don't take have over avocados. New Hampshire. You don't have avocados and you don't have Malibu. So uh, it's just purely selfish. <laughs> I'm not selfish. trying to live in New Hampshire, guys. Like Colorado's pretty cool. It's kind of in the middle. So like everyone should just come here. And Powell's is like the closest thing to being a libertarian governor. I mean, like there's him and Ducey, I think, in Arizona. And like, hey, listen, I I know, I know. He's not the best. He's got issues. But like, hey, he's the closest probably sitting Democratic governor you had that's like close to like libertarian leanings. I am just saying. Yeah, he signed a red flag bill. So I'm just like. Oh, I know. He's not. No. I'm just saying if we're going to break up the country, let's really think about this strategically about where's a nice place to live when we have liberty? Like, I don't, I don't want to live in New Hampshire. <laughs> I, I want to live where there's a beach and there's avocados and there's, you know, nice weather all the time. So Here we are libertarians. We can't agree on anything. No, we can't uh, agree where Libertopia is going to be. What the heck? <laughs> I did. Uh, well, now I forgot what we were talking about. Cause I'm thinking about avocado toast. Cause that's just what happens when you live in LA for so long. Um, no, I did bring up a lot of what you were speaking about, and people on Twitter seem to be very divided, and they didn't seem very happy with me, which is normal, so whatever. <laughs> uh, I brought up the idea that police shouldn't be handling so many things um, because 
when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, which yep. that was the one thing that people were like, you shouldn't use that term. And it's like, listen, you guys can pretend that I just hate police. I don't. My grandfather was chief of police of Anaheim. My grandfather was chief of police of freaking Disneyland. Okay. So I, I understand most of my, my family is cops and firemen. I, I think they're great people. Okay. I'm, I don't hate police. I'm not calling, I'm not, I'm actually not one of those people calling to defund police. I'm one of the people, and this is why, let me say this. The reason I don't think that the defund police situation is going to work because the police are going to be momentarily defunded while we reallocate tax money that you will never see again to whatever senator or governor's pet project they want to reallocate it to, and then we will quietly refund the police. This is what happens. This is what will continue to happen. We can pretend that it won't, but it'll happen unless we have activism that stays on all of our politicians, and we won't. This will die out as soon as people are allowed to go outside again. They will resume you know, the status quo. The other thing that I brought up, though, is that, well, we can strike while the iron is hot and say, look, police shouldn't be doing all of this stuff. This is a great time for private companies and private charity to step up and say, hey, don't call 911 if you see someone in a park with a mental health issue. Call us. Call yes. us. We can help that person. Don't call 911 for uh, when you hear your neighbors yelling and you know that it's a domestic violence issue over and over and over again. Call us. We're people that can handle that. We're people that can get a woman or a man safely somewhere. The problem that's going to arise if we don't look at this strategically is that it will not be private charity and it will not be private companies that handle this. Yep. The way things are going, it could very easily be that we defund the police and put these new programs in and they will be government programs and they will be just as broken and they will be just as underfunded. And then we will have to pour more money into them with not enough training, not the correct training. And it's just people going back into a broken system. We may not My call goodness. it a prison. We may call it a re-education center. We may call it something else. It has to be privatized because the government, I cannot stress this enough. If the government is involved, the people are getting that's all that's going to happen, whether it's now or next week or next year, no matter what program we call it. This is a time for private charity and private and private business to step up. That's, that's the number one thing that, that needs to happen because it's going to go in that direction. Yep. The solution yes. is going to be less policing. And my God, Brett, I, I honestly, I think you've been listening to my show because <laughs> literally last episode, Brad Palumbo, I said, this is the responsibility of, of folks in the Liberty movement. Because right now the biggest challenge I think that we have as, as, a, as a greater movement is that we have a problem articulating the vision of what the middle ground looks like. Cause I think the problem is, is that a lot of folks look at, world as right now we are a right we're at point a and it's a welfare society and we can all acknowledge that and what we're talking about is getting to point c which is a completely private society where the government welfare programs are no longer necessary but when we're talking about going from a to c for a lot of folks going from a to c they need to see b in place first before they can make that jump themselves so it's on us it's our responsibility as as libertarian entrepreneurs especially to start filling that void 
you know, creating nonprofits and, and showing that we as libertarians have the ability to create these solutions that number one, are more efficient than government, but number two, actually do the jobs better than government. And that is what we're going to actually start to change people's minds. Because when people start to see the success of libertarian solutions in their own personal lives in the marketplace, and they already start to, to, to trust what our vision is because they're living it, then that's when they, they, they're going to trust with our, our vote at the ballot box. And that's when we can start to have some political change. Now, I think, and I, I've heard there's a big split in the libertarian movement is what's the best way to approach it, political or, or through the, the marketplace. And I say both. I think we need to have both in, in place because you need people like Justin Amash and Rand Paul who, who are fighting the good fight, you know, trying to, to keep reigning in government from a political standpoint. But you also need folks who are out there you know, who, who, are, who are fighting the good fight in the, the private sector. And, and I mean, I've had dozens of folks on my show who, who are, are doing great things, whether it's, you know, working at uh, creating social media empires like Bill Ottman at, at Minds.com, um, creating uh, Atlas Arms, uh, which is a, a, a uh, basically an alternative gun production uh, company for, I think they were doing, what was it? It was like 3D printing of uh, AR-15 chambers. Like there, there are companies out there who are now coming up and, and, and reaching uh, the, the marketplace that, hasn't really been tapped because people have looked and said, well, government's got it covered. And, and now it's our chance to, to be that middle ground. So yes, I think to your, to your point, Britt, yes, we have to be that answer, but we also have to, to make sure when we're doing it, we're talking about it. And that's why what you guys are doing, but what also, you know, shows like myself, we are libertarians, lines of Liberty, you know, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, all those shows out there. That's why what we are doing is so important because it's our responsibility now as the salespeople to show the value to people. And, and I think that's why I want more voices in the movement, more people who, who maybe can articulate a message in a different way to somebody who never heard it in a certain perspective that they just need to hear that different perspective to get the message. So I, I think, you know, long story short, that's why right now it is a good opportunity because right now all the external, you know, things that people used to do, sports, movies, going out to drinks with friends. I mean, yeah, it's, it's coming back, but it's all been pretty much shut down for the past like three, four months. So everybody's plugged in. Everybody's, you know, on Twitter in a complete, you know, toxic level 11, you know, in Twitter world. And it's, it's scary, but everybody's plugged in. So let's all use that, that energy and that focus to now start to, to, to fill the market with positive solutions. Don't, I can't stress this enough. Negativity breeds negativity. Be positive, be you know, outgoing. If somebody's being toxic, mute them, move on. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything when you're, you're dealing with toxic people. So that's my advice, if anything, to try to, <laughs> to actually like reach people and have some long lasting success, I guess, when we were doing this pandemic, you know? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think that's part of the reason Freckles and I, I, I had told you I'd started I wanted to do this podcast and then the very first episode, my very first guest was freckles. And before the show even started, I was like, you know what? This is great. Do you want to just, should we just do this every week? And we were like, yeah, let's do it. Because somebody there's, I don't want to take this the wrong way. I don't want to put out like, like any sort of like um, virtue signaling or anything like that. I'm not sure what the term is. It seems like there's in our small circle, we talk to a lot of libertarian women but as a whole, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of voices for liberty that are coming from females. And when you spoke Bingo. about people that can give a, um, people that can maybe give you a different perspective or make you think about things a different way or just talk to you in a different way. I don't know. I feel like Freckles and I kind of uh, fill that for a lot of people. I mean, we've only been on for 10 weeks. And so our show is, you know, re brand new. Um, <laughs> But 
it seems to be gaining momentum. And I think that's the reason why is because we let people mm-hmm. say what they want to say. We ask questions and then we, we kind of, I guess just the way that a woman would talk to somebody and people I think seem to be a little more receptive maybe to women voices a lot of times just because now that. we're in 2020. This is, um, it's not just no offense, like another white dude saying like, we need this where it's like, I can come in or freckles can come in and be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a woman. Freckles is an immigrant. Like I, you know, I'm, I I don't go into like what my background is usually because I don't want to be Elizabeth Warren, but like I, it's like, okay, as opposed to just somebody coming in with the same voice and not that anything that you're saying or Tom Woods or, you know, any, any other guy is saying in this movement is invalid. It just, sometimes people just, no 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 that a hundred percent that's why i've gone out of my way like i i purposely want different voices on my show i want people from all not only all you know gender i say all gender so i can say that nowadays <laughs> men women i don't care but i also want people from different political thoughts i want people from different backgrounds because i mean honestly that's how we as a people are going to be able to, to to coexist i mean i know it's a, it's a running joke that coexist bumper sticker but like let's be real like 2020, that's actually kind of a challenge is to coexist. So yeah. how do we coexist? I think the way we coexist is to have conversations. And through our having conversations, especially with people who are different from us, we're able to hear how we maybe reach different, or let me rephrase that, how we've reached the same conclusions in many different cases, but how we got there in different ways. And I think it's how we get there in the different ways that is the most important. So I've yeah. had folks like Steffi Cole on my show, um, you know, she far, far left, right? When she, she came to the movement. Um, I've had people on my show like Max Goker from AIER, same exact thing. He came from more of the left. Then you have folks who probably come from the more traditional on the right, like myself. And, and th- there's value to hear the different ways that people come to the movement because when we hear the, the, the differences in how we approach the same conclusions, that's the answer of how to market to those people. And that's why I, I, I think, you know, when I look at the, the greater podcasting movement is I want more voices because the, the reality is that yes, for too long, People like me are all people have heard and they want to hear different because I mean, let's be real. There are women out there who probably are curious about the libertarian movement, but when they go and look at a Facebook group, it's about 95% white dudes. And they're like, huh, I don't know if I want to be in here because as soon as they do, I can almost guarantee they're going to get 300 messages, right? To say, Hey, (laughs) and, and it's like, and this is the laugh tells me I'm probably right. right? (laughs) It is true. It's like, and it's hard sometimes too being a woman in this movement. I can say something on Twitter that I feel is completely valid. That it that not that I feel that is completely valid. It doesn't meet my justification. Something that is smart and well thought out and well researched, and I will get a message or seventeen saying I totally agree with you. Do you want to exchange pictures? And I'm like. Like, that actually took a turn. I wasn't. I was, I was expecting like saying you know, like, oh, you know, you, you think you're you're so smart, like, ha, ha, ha. like no, that that I that agree with you. Hey, by the way, send pick. Like, what the? No, I, I, I. Okay, can I ask a genuine question? Is this what it's like for for like chicks in the liberty movement all the time? Is like just constant like net your guys all the time? I don't know. I don't. I mean, it I really don't. depends. Like, I've got like people in my 
like messages who are literally just like, you're awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, thanks. I will. Which is great. Those are, those are nice. Yeah. Like those yeah. are fun messages. Yeah. And then every once in a while there's like, uh, do you accept tributes? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, like, I don't know what don't, that means either. You don't want to know what it means. No. Okay. I think my personality <laughs> lends to a lot of the more, um, like what you wouldn't want as a DM, like, because I flirt and, and it's not that I even mean to, it's that I just have that type of personality where, and I am also very big on like, if you're a smaller account, but you say something valid, I will retweet you. And I try and respond to everyone. And I think some people take that as like, oh, I should take this further where it's like, no, let's not, let's stay right where we are. You know, I'm, I just think that I liked what you had to say. I don't want to see your penis. Like that's, that's where I'm at with that. Like, so like, I mean, I'm just saying, and I don't know if that happens with anyone else. Like, but I know that my personality also is like on that kind of, you know, it kind of walks that line. So, and, and I hope, and I say, I hope that that's, that's, it's kind of rare. I, I'm, I'm honestly hoping that that's more of the, the exception to the rule because like, I think the, yeah, the yeah. reality is like for the movement to, to grow is that we need to, to make the environment for the Liberty Movement feel more welcoming to, to, to all people. And I think if we get stuck in this, this, you know, pardon the expression, but like this mental circle jerk of always being right, like, what's that accomplish? Honestly, yeah. like if we're just going to have a bunch of white dudes who are just constantly telling each other how right we are, what are we doing? Are we moving the movement forward? No. So I think what we need to do is, is we need to start encouraging people who are actually going out of their way to, to actively sell the value of Liberty to people in their personal lives. Um, and, and, you know, this goes to my day job, right? I'm in sales. This is my day job. And, and what we'd focus on is, is creating value. And, and that is, the, the idea of peaking interest, right? And once you peak interest, now you, your, your conversation turns towards basically giving more information. So when, when you're trying to peak the interest, you're not giving them a, a 300 pound volume of all the, the information that they need for, for you know, to, the encyclopedia of whatever it is you're selling them. What they want to know is how it's going to impact them directly. The problem is, is that too often, a lot of folks in the liberty movement have, have started out by handing out all these novels of people saying, read this and you'll become a libertarian. And people are like, I, I, no, I can't. So what we have to do is change the way that we're approaching the conversation. Stop giving people the case studies and start telling people the value of, of the liberty movement in their lives. And I think once we do that, then we're going to start bringing more people who, yes, are different than the white guys. Like, like uh, you know, the, the folks that t typically, when people talk about the liberty movement, that's the stereotype. And, you know, I, I have an expression I like to use, and I've, 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 I've tried to not use this often, but, like, tends to be, like, stereotypes tend to exist because they're based on the, the tiniest grains of truth in some way, shape, or form. And, like, the liberty movement has to have a come-to-Jesus moment. Like, why are we only known as the white dude movement? And, like, let, let's have a, a real talk about that. And like, I think that with that being said, we have to actively encourage other voices coming to the movement. And because when we bring more voices into the movement, now we're just giving ourselves more ammunition because those voices then become the, 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 the outlets, the people who are now going out of their way to become the salespeople. 
Yeah. If we continue to grow our sales arm of the liberty movement, then we're going to have people who are actually going to go out of their way to actively campaign for us. People who are going to go out of their way to actively caucus for us. And people who are going to go out of their way to actively vote for us. And that's ultimately how if we want to have any political change, we have to do things. But right now we're so far back. I mean, the, the, the analogy Jason Stapleton likes to use is the, uh, the, the school bus or the school bus going through space and we're on our way to Libertopia, right? Like we are so far away from Libertopia. We're all going to the same destination, but like, listen, before we get there, can we at least like try to be in the same like, team? Like we're on this bus together. Like we can, when, once we get to, you know, the minarchist versus anarchist versus classical liberal argument, like then we can hop off the bus, right? But like, let's at least get, you know, within the half mile of the destination first. We're, we're thousands of miles away from there. We have to start from square one. And I think square one, again, is, is trying to acknowledge what's, what's actually going to bring people to the movement. I think it's more voices, uh, more people who are willing to, to tell their stories, um, but also I think a more welcoming environment. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, did that help at all? I don't know if that even- No, it did. Yeah. And it okay. actually, it kind of solidifies. We, we had Larry Sharp on- uh, Love Larry, by the way. He's great. And he, he kind of spoke to the same thing, saying that libertarian movement has a lot of activists. Mm-hmm. And we need more activists, but we don't have enough politicians in the sense, or salesmen, in the sense that we can sell people liberty. And um, yes. it reminded me of, in like, I guess like the 60s, 70s, like where they had like the hippie counterculture, but then they had this huge Christian revolution. This mm-hmm. huge revival, I guess it was called, and it started before that, and it kind of, and you see where we had Christianity for years and years and years. Like, here's this Bible, read this Bible, read this. This is your sins. This is you. all of a sudden, Christianity had a revival, and it wasn't because we were just handing out Bibles. It wasn't because they were just handing all these. It was because they were selling Jesus as somebody who could. Uh, provide you with grace, who could provide you with hope, who could provide you with some, you know, um, a some sense intrinsic of thing. fulfillment. Yeah. Yes. And whether you believe it or not, I mean, I don't know what your background is, Brian. I'm not trying to sell you Christianity, but like, and, and you look My today, dad's a pastor, so there you go. <laughs> but there's a, the reason that movement was so successful, why we had a huge revival in this country is because we had a way of selling Christianity to people. And I know Christians hate when I say this, but the, it, but it is true. And it is true that if you look at the biggest churches in this country, they're all grace-based churches. They're the Joel Olsteins and the, I don't know. And any they're people. packed. And they're, they're packed, packed with people. It's the, um, you know, Joseph Prince, who is one of the most famous pastors in the world in South Korea. So he, he speaks with a thick South Korean accent and he preaches grace and he preaches hope. And I'm not even saying, I feel like, uh, just I'm going to put it out there, my personal feelings, I feel like Joel Olstein is kind of snake oil salesman. But I think there's a lot of... Um, I think there's a lot of people also that start hearing that message and go, oh, maybe I should question. Maybe I should read more. Maybe I should do more. And I'm not saying that the Liberty Movement should go off the rails and tell people, you know, oh, you only have to do this one side. But I am saying that it's maybe a better idea to start with the good things about Liberty instead of like, we have a responsibility to do. It's like, look at the hope that you could bring by being free. Look at the hope that we can have if we all come together and stop looking at this as like, this is a black people issue. This is a white people issue. This is a woman's issue. This is a men's issue. What if this is a, all of us, us. issue. <laughs> it's an us issue. And we're all individuals. So we're all going to feel a little differently about it. Like 
like that's a good foot to start off on. They can both be true. Two things can be true at once, but why not start off with the one that's going to engage people? And yes. I agree with you. Um, I, I agree with Larry Sharp. I, I agree. Adam Kokish had said the same thing uh, um, about stop fighting with people. Stop being so divisive. We're so divisive in our own community. <laughs> Absolutely. That, the, yeah. The, the anarchists love calling them anarchist status. And it's like, yeah, sure, whatever, call a status, but we're still the best you've got. <laughs> like, we're still working with you to remove, like, the authoritarianism. Thank you guys so much for tuning into part one of our interview with Brian Nichols. If you enjoyed the show, come back next week where we'll finish up with uh, civil discourse in the state of the country. You guys can also catch us every Tuesday on YouTube, DLive, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor FM, Listen Notes, Google, and Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can also find us on our newest collab, thefreedomscoop.com. Be sure to hop on over and check out our content along with some other great creators. We can't do the show without you guys, and we appreciate all of you. If you'd like to support the show, click on the link in the description or go to Anchor FM and click the support tab. Your small monthly donation helps to sustain future episodes. I'm Britt. You can find me on Twitter at Tweets by Britt. My fabulous co-host is Freckles. You can find her on Twitter at Freckled Liberty. Last but not least, uh, our guest for part one of this interview is Brian Nichols. You can find him on The Brian Nichols Show and on Twitter at B Nichols Liberty. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. They're going to hop off. You know, we're going we're gonna to be out you know, 70% of the way there. We're going to be like, all right, helicopter ride. I'm kidding, not helicopter ride. No, um, but no. <laughs> no, no spaceship no, 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 ride. <laughs> and that's why, I mean, Brian, I know we we're talking about it a little bit before the show started about my how I speak to people on Twitter because I can get snarky but for the most <laughs> part I try I try and be nice to people I know just a little bit but I try and I there's actually a running joke and I don't mean to make anybody like uncomfortable at this point but there's a running joke between me and Freckles and Jessica Green that my haters follow me more than probably anyone else on Twitter and become my friend because <laughs> I try and talk to them like like I'll bat you around a little bit. You might bat me around a little bit, but then I'll make a joke. We'll try and because there's still something of value that they have to say. Even if I yes. disagree with 99% of what they have to say, sometimes they say something and I'm like, I, I disagree with you, but I really need to think about my approach to that. Or why do I think that way? So I think we need more civil discourse. And I know we used to say, Oh, people used to have civil discourse. I don't think people ever really did have civil discourse. Like, you know, 56, I think people just, didn't talk about it because it made them uncomfortable. I think in the eighties, nineties, that's when we started having civil discourse. And then for some reason it splintered off. I don't, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons and we got to where we're at today. And I think there's a I lot know. of, can I, can I challenge that premise a little bit? Yeah, I'm not ahead. sure if, I'm not sure if it's a matter of the civil discourse has, has gotten worse or the matter is that now it's transparently open. You know what I mean? So like, if you look at like the letters that were sent between the founding fathers, they each other. Like a lot of them hated each other. And like, yeah. they would write the most vile each other. And it was hilarious. Like looking back, it's like Doth Adams have an ass like a mule. And it's like, yeah. Oh, Jefferson's just call him a fat. Like, and it catches you off guard. But like you fast forward to today and now it's like you, you, you go to Twitter and you'd be like, Donald Trump's an 
like the discourse is still the same, but it's just, it's different, right? Before it was, you'd write it in your letter and you'd send it in the mail and it'd get there 13 days later. Now it's you, you type it into a Twitter, you know, 120 character tweet and it's around the world in 13 milliseconds. So like that I think maybe has changed the way we communicate, not so much the what we're communicating. Does that make sense? No, it does. I was actually going, I agree with you. I was actually going around <laughs> that because I was going to talk about some of those letters and really I, were you I got, yeah it was because <laughs> i just read about shay's rebellion i yes yeah. yeah, so, okay so, okay well i'm not gonna go into all that because well now i mean like, nancy pelosi just calls trump morbidly obese on television no, but so that's, that's a, her game i guess now place in this country where we got to a place in this country in i would say the 40s 50s and 60s where we started saying like civil discourse but really what had happened is we stopped being openly hatred towards people we just stopped talking about politics or so that old, like, oh, we don't talk about religion or politics. Boom. And you started to see in the 80s and 90s where people started talking about who started talking about and who I give the most credit to is not politicians, not libertarians, not, not anybody in politics. I credit comedians for starting in the 70s, Ow. 80s, 90s, where they started saying things that, that might be offensive to you, but were also kind of true. And we started to be able to have this, this, um, this dialogue and yeah. then it started to get where people started to get offended about the things that we're saying and then it moved into uh, getting not just offended but having to take up arms and take up action about you know what's being said about what's going on instead of us just talking about it um, and I think that's where we're at now where it's like every group has their own issue which they probably always have but now we have to fight for whose is the most valid and it's mm -hmm. we have to find a way to realize that like libertarians have been saying forever it's not all of our issues against each other and who should get the most time we shouldn't all be having to vie for who whose issues are going to get taken care of first we should look at the people that are causing the issues we should look at the government that is making us all fight amongst each other it's the same Yep. It's the same thing that's caused this divide since the beginning of this country. Since yeah. it's, it's always the same thing that causes the divide is get people to argue amongst themselves so they can't realize who the true oppressor is. I mean, it, it, I don't know. It, or whatever, I don't know. So <laughs> we have some questions for you, yeah. Brian. I want to, oh we should get to them. Yeah, I'll um, go ahead and ask. Yeah. Some. So from Fritz, uh, uh, QS. Ah, yep. Fritz. Yep. He said Fair number one, before, before you ask this question, uh, if you guys ever interact with Fritz on, um, on any social media, you gotta make sure you, you, you make it a point that he does not know how to pronounce people's names. Um, he has been calling John McAfee, John McAfee or McAfee for the past year and a half. And it has been driving me crazy. So just please go after him for that. I, I will. Amazing. I Fritz is one of the only people on Twitter that's like I'm friends with on Facebook that I talk to. So now I'm going to make great. Him. And he also hasn't had us on his show yet. <laughs> like, so well, not. his question said, ask him when he's going to have that Fritz cast fella on. And then he said, <laughs> I kid, ask him what he thinks the best strategy for growing libertarianism on all, on all levels. Okay. Um, he's coming on soon. I literally, as I was telling Britt before um, we got on the air, I just moved. So like I've been moving and that's been nice. crazy for the past like month, basically. So a uh, new studio, which is nice. Um, but uh, no, to his, his actual question, right? Um, Fritz, you're coming on soon, buddy. I promise. But when 
when the libertarian movement wants to actually have some real long-lasting political success, uh, it goes back to what I've been saying since day one when I started my show in January of 2018. Nobody is going to take the Libertarian Party seriously until the Libertarian Party takes itself seriously. And that requires the Libertarian Party to start acting like a legitimate political party. So here's the reality. People want to vote for winners. If you are going to have a political party that is going to be nothing more than an educational party, then nobody's going to want to join. Because if people want to join an educational party, they'll join a f***ing book club. They're not going to join a political party. Political parties are to win elections. If your goal is to be the Libertarian Party, then your goal should be to win Libertarian candidates in their local elections, national elections, and state elections. But for some reason, the Libertarian Party still can't seem to get its head around in terms of what our direction is. So I think we need to have a real come to Jesus moment in terms of what the actual direction of the Libertarian Party is going to be. And if the Libertarian Party decides that it's not going to be that of actually winning elections, then I might need to reconsider whether or not I'm going to keep a membership. Because at this point, like, what, what's the point? I'm hoping that Dr. Jorgensen will be a, a strong candidate and will be the, the legitimate, you know, third solution to what, what we've been presented as, um, you know, the, the lesser of two evils in Trump versus Biden. I'm hoping, I'm seeing a lot of people in my home district who are actually like sharing her memes organically. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. But we'll see if that actually turns into votes. I mean, I'm not super optimistic because America just seems to be, you know, in just like this, this like tailspin of just, you know, it's, it's constant feuding, but the Libertarian Party had a, a great opportunity in 2016, completely, um, you know, ruined that opportunity. I, I dare say they had a great opportunity in 2020. They'll have a better opportunity in 2024. And I think seeing in 2024, because it'll be kind of like that, like restart button again, yep. that will be indicative of what is going to happen going forward. If the Libertarian Party is not, going to take itself seriously, um, then I think it will be time for libertarians who are politically motivated and using that as a means to actually enact some change, they might need to uh, find a new home. But we'll see. I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm still a card-carrying member, and if people want to join the LP and help make it better, uh, use my link, uh, lp.org forward slash Brian Nichols Show. I think that we actually are moving in the right step. I thought it was going to be Jacob Hornberger. I mm. don't want to disparage anything about Jacob Hornberger. I like him. I think he is a nice man. I think he's a smart man. I think it was a good choice that he's not our candidate because he is exactly what you're talking about. He is the he is the librarian of the LP. He is going to teach you and he is going to, you know, he's a professor. professor you. He, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where Joe is more of the politician and I'm the first one to say we found out Joe was going to be the candidate live on one of our live shows and we were all like nope uh, what nope because we it was also a group of pro-life women and and we don't you know Joe has a, a stance of she doesn't want abortion in the platform of the LP so we were mm -hmm. all very like what's going on um but I think a lot of us have came around since then um because Joe is that that person that could actually get the job done and get us to be a more serious party. I also think that uh, it would have been a mosh and I think it would have been a terrible, terrible misstep for the LP to have a mosh this year. Joe being in this year and getting to like really shine and show what she can do sets her up for 2024 because there's no way in hell she's winning this year. Let's just, let's just call a spade a spade. Mm -hmm. I know we can all like pretend, but like people still have that like automatic, yes. like 
I would vote for a third party if other parties, if other people voted for them, but then my vote won't count. Like that's just the, like, it just comes out of there. They don't even think about like, you just say third party and that. I want an outsider, but I'm not going to vote for the third party candidate. I need to vote for the lesser of two evils because it's like, it just, you just want to put the button off in the back of their head. Like, okay, okay. I know I've heard it. And you, we need roads, whatever. The NPC Um, needs to hit the restart button. Yeah. Like we, we get it. So this, yeah, just, it's okay. I understand you have your standard things and whatever taxes are the price we pay to live in society. I don't know. Whatever, <laughs> whatever else you're going to tell me, I've heard it a thousand times because that's all, that's all you know about libertarianism. So, um, but I think that Joe has a chance to change that. Joe has a chance. And I think it's a little like, I do think it's a little gimmicky also like, but she did really well in the debates. I'm not saying that I'm not trying to discredit her, or take anything away from her. But it just happens to be a good year that we have two super old white dudes running for president and the libertarians are the only ones that are like, hey, you guys had like a lot of ladies and a lot of people of color that you could have picked from on the left, especially. And you went with like the old dude with dementia. So you've lost (laughs) a lot of credibility. So look, we have this lady who's very smart. She is a like a genius woman, understands you know, policy understands the libertarian movement. She is for, she could get a lot of stuff done that both sides want. And especially the left, she seems to kind of be um, like courting them right now. And I think very much is courting them. And I find that to be a little bit of a turnoff. I'll say that, but I guess whatever works. I I agree with you. I can't. Uh, So here's the thing though, is like 29% of Americans didn't vote last 20 in 2016 so of the 29% of Americans that don't vote we can at least assume half of them right are gonna be left-leaning so we need at least half of those people to say we're gonna vote for the third party this year and and the sad reality is is that we might need to to get some of those folks who maybe are our 65 70% allies on topics like we're gonna come again spaceship going through you know space to Liberty Land like they're going to hop off. You know, we're going to, we're going to be out there, you know, 70% of the way there. We're going to be like, all right, helicopter ride. I'm kidding. Not helicopter ride. No, um, but no, <laughs> no, no spaceship no, no, no. ride. Yeah, no, but like, no, that's, that's where we're going to have to say like, Hey, listen, that this is where we're going to have our defense of opinion. Like the Tulsi Gabbard's of the world. I will have a conversation with Tulsi and I will go to, to bat with her on probably 65% of the issues. As soon as we start talking about universal health care and you know, universal, whatever it is that yeah. she wants to do next. Sorry, I can't. I'll work with you. I'll work with you as soon as we can get close to that. I agree with you. Uh, Tulsi, I, I am infamous at this point for calling Tulsi Gabbard a super villain because she's beautiful. <laughs> she tells you all the things. Like, seriously, have you, you guys have, well, Oh yeah. Plays have, the ukulele, goes surfing. She is very much that 80s Saturday morning cartoon super villain that you're like, wow, she seems too good to be true. And she's like, no, we want to end the wars. No, we want all people to like come together. We want more liberty. We want, we also want to take away all your guns. Like, you know, like, like, whoa, whoa, what happened? Like, all she's of the sudden, fine print candidate. Yeah. It's like, no, all of a sudden you're just like in Skeletor's lair and you don't know what happened. Like, cause it seemed <laughs> like everything was cool a minute ago, you know? So Well, that escalated rather quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, ukulele playing and surfing to Skeletor's lair. Yeah, I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying. Like, I'm actually, yeah, so whatever. Um, but yeah, no, like, I, I agree with you on that. But also, I, I go a little bit further because I probably, 
you know, the purity test. I got to make sure that I get some of that. <laughs> not all libertarians at all. It's, it's okay. I, I'm I like it. the worst libertarian. Trust me. I get told every day. Me so, too. <laughs> great. Yeah, me too. And at a certain point, I'm just going to stop calling myself that because like, honestly, if you don't want me, I'll just do my own thing. Just put a question mark at the end of it. Like I'm a libertarian. Yeah. Like I've got, I've got a loud voice. Like, yeah. you know, I'm I've libertarian. been told I'm not. Yeah. Like, well, no, Andrew, Bar- Andrew Breitbart used to say that the politics is always downstream of culture. And one of the problems is that the libertarians have not engaged in the cultural conversation really at all. Uh, um, you know, the only person I really think of that's been daring to, to brave the, the cultural conversation right now explicitly has been really, well, I'd say a couple, you know, prominent libertarians. I'd say, you know, Dave Smith from more of a, um, you know, a true principle standpoint. Um, Chris Bangle um, from the big, big channel, We Are Libertarians. He has been doing a phenomenal job outlining um, more of like the, the, the black approach to what's happening. He, he's on a, a podcast called The Pat Down um, with Ms. Pat. And Ms. Pat is a, a very prominent stamp comedian, actually just on Rogan last year. Um, actually, this was a year ago or so, like last week. And um, Chris is a co-host for, for that show. Um, he actually met her at his day job over in Indianapolis. Um, and she was looking for somebody to help her with her, her podcast. And he ended up helping her and she, he joined the show. And he basically is like the, the quote unquote, like token white guy on the show. But it was a chance for him to be able to, to learn more about not only her culture, but vice versa for her to learn more about our, I say our, you know, a white culture, because for Miss Pat, she had grown up in, an, in a community that there were no white people. So like, it was a great chance for them to have an open dialogue and, and for like the, the listener to hear these kind of conversations happen real time, because, and it goes back to, I think that the point that we made earlier, and it's actually funny how things happen the way they do. I just posted this on my, my Facebook page at, uh, you can follow at Beatles Liberty, by the way, um, about, you know, having difficult conversations, right? And part of the problem where we are today is that we really are a, a couple of generations now of, of people who have been told, don't talk about this stuff. Don't, don't talk about race. Don't talk about politics. Don't talk about religion because it's uncomfortable. And what we've, we've done is basically we have pushed all these things that we weren't, we're not supposed to talk about under underground and, and, and it just festers. It's like, I mean, it's like a volcano, right? It is, is the pressure builds and builds and builds it's only a matter of time before that, that pressure lets go and the volcano erupts. And that's what we're seeing right now is that all these things that we've been told not to talk about, now they're, they're, the pressure's built and it, it's, it's coming to the surface. And, and we're seeing that manifest itself in, in these protests. We're seeing it manifest itself in, in the resentment that people have towards police officers. We're seeing that across the nation right now. And instead of addressing the, the underlying issues of why that resentment exists, we're, we're just trying to stop the lava flow. Um, and, and I think that's, again, it goes back to addressing the causes of the problem. I mean, we've come full circle really in the show, starting out, what, what do we have to do? address the, funda- the, the fundamental issues that, that start the, the, the problems. You're not going to go in as a doctor and you say, hmm, well, you seem to have a cold, um, but you have a cut in your left hand. So maybe they're connected and I'm going to cut your left hand off. Like that's, that's a little drastic. Like let's actually look and see like what's causing the cold. Is it allergies? Is it, you know, is it a seasonal cold? And, and then you die. And once you diagnose it, you address the symptoms. We're not doing that as a society. Yeah. And partly because we've been told don't go to the doctor. I mean, look at it. The doctor is, is solving the problem. Solving the problem in our, our situation is having the conversation and we're not having those conversations. We've been told not to. And I think we've been trained, um, 
by parties, even libertarians. I, I think if you look at the, le the left, a lot of times, if you even approach it like a doctor situation, they'll look at it and go, he has a cold, the best thing might be to do is give him this medicine. But if he doesn't feel like he wants to take it or it might hurt him or something like, like we don't want to hurt him, so let's just let this happen. And the right, you know, the, a lot of times has that. Well, you know what? Cut his hand off, then he can't touch things. Libertarians tend to, like I said, I always feel like they're the smartest people in the room, but they're also the people in the room that will not speak about something if they don't know the answer before. Yes. A lot of yes. times. And it is so frustrating because they, it's not, it's like they'll keep quiet on issues or even, it's not, I know so many people are going to get mad right now about this. They will talk about something, they will talk about an issue, and they will direct it back to the one minute thing that they know about that issue that they are so smart on, and they will ignore every other aspect and every other element of that issue and say, but I know this, and they keep hammering that point home, like, yeah, we get it, but there's other issues that are going on around it. Like, it's the same thing as all these libertarians. Well, if we defund the police, like, like we get it, we know, without police police can't kill people if there's no police like we get it but somebody else will like yes. somebody else is gonna like we have to discuss every other thing we have to we have to be able to come in and say we're not the right where we're just gonna chop your hand off and we're not the left where we're just gonna feel care about your feelings because i really do i i come down hard a lot of times on the left but i do think there's something to be said about like a bleeding heart liberal i think a lot of these people come from a place of they care about people. They're just going about it the wrong way. And I think that the right want to get things done the same way, not the same way the left does, but they kind of all want to come to the same place, mm -hmm. but they have two very vastly different ways of doing it. And libertarians have a great opportunity to kind of bridge that gap. But instead what we do is pick the minutia of both of them until people are so sick of listening to us talk that they just walk away. Yes. We're insufferable and we're right. That's the problem. Yeah. Oh, I call myself insufferable for sure. I'm, I'm the most knowing person on Twitter, I'm pretty sure. So You're you know. everywhere. Oh, my God. I was, like, going through somebody's uh, re replies. Oh, you know who it was? It was the, uh, what's his name? The chop guy? Raz. Oh, Raz. Raz. I was like, hey, I'm on her show today. <laughs> God, just someone, like, randomly getting mad at me for using the word literally in a way they found incorrectly this morning was, like, a two-hour fight, and I'm just like, I hate this. <laughs> Is that not Twitter in a nutshell right there? Like, what's Twitter like? I got in a fight with somebody for using the word literally yeah. and not the context they wanted me to use it in. Yeah. Like, I think that's it, Twitter. I think it's funny. I think that's why our show is good, a good – because – People get so mad at you because of the things you say. But then if you look at the people, the things people say about me, people tell me like, oh, you're the nicest person on Twitter. You're so sweet. You're so nice. But if you come on the show and like you're on the show, like I'm the one that's like, fuck, like I'm the one that's like, no. And Freckles is- Get it all out on Twitter. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah Freckles <laughs> yeah. is usually like, to that point that like we're <laughs> the edited one. I come on yeah. here and I'm like, we're- I'm angry. I'm, I'm surly. I don't, you know, so I can tell how many people don't listen to the show. <laughs> well, I, I, I get it though. Like I, I'm so snarky on Twitter. So what I'll usually do is I'll be very snarky and then I'll just mute somebody. Cause I'm just like, I, I don't want to deal with it. Oh. It's like, I'm like that meme from the, uh, from Endgame with a uh, Chris Evans. And it's like, no, I don't oh, think yeah. I will. Like, I'm not going to argue anymore. I just, just it's not productive. I, and, and I think 
that's kind of the way I've, I've approached politics going forward through, especially through the, like, not just the rest of the year, but I think this is going to be my approach going forward is like, I am only going to engage people who are approaching conversations in good faith. If, if somebody instantly comes in and I know they're going to be toxic and they're going to have no like productive uh, input to the conversation, I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to engage that person. But if somebody asks a legitimate question, I found that the best way to actually have that conversation with them is to implement like the Socratic method approach and, and get them to rationalize their position for you. And if you can come to, it's so actually, I'll, I'll segue to a book you guys should look at if you haven't already. It's how to have impossible conversations with Peter Bogosian. It is a phenomenal read and I've been recommending it to everybody because it really speaks to where we are as a society in 2020 is how to have those impossible conversations. And, and it really, it, focuses on getting the getting you and the person that you're having a conversation with to come to some fundamental agreements and then to, to have the other person kind of flesh out where you guys fell apart on your 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 agreement right so if you come to the same conclusion like we both want people to to not live in poverty great now let's start back at square one so people are in poverty how did we get here and then reverse engineer and and then you can start to figure okay so this is where in your life you had a personal experience that you thought that you know because a business did something bad to a person that means all businesses are bad okay so that's that's the point in your life where you had this moment that has impacted your entire worldview now instead of trying to address the merits of of you know, Murray Rothbard versus Marx. Now you can have a conversation about, you know, businesses and how not all businesses are bad and try to address that particular issue for that one person. And as you're doing that, here's the benefit. If you're having these conversations in a public forum or in, in something like what we're doing here with a podcast or what have you, is now other people who had the exact same experience as that person did, you know, when they, maybe their family got screwed by a business, now they're hearing not only that person's story and empathizing, but they're empathizing with the solution that we're presenting. And, and they're empathizing with the people who maybe who've experienced that same thing but have changed the way that they approach the world because they saw a different way. They saw a different perspective. And, and that's, again, going back to originally the, the point of, of this whole, you know, the whole way we got into this, this uh, conversation is we do need to, to speak to the issues that, that really matter to people. And we're not going to learn what those issues are until we ask them questions. If we are instantly going into a conversation telling people what they need to care about instead of asking them, what they care about, then they're not going to listen. And, and, and I think until we start to approach things in that perspective, then, and then we're just going to be bashing our heads against the wall. And it's, it's not going to be fun. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know we have more questions. We should yeah. get to them because uh, we... they're both <laughs> from the same person. They're from Ancor Agarwal. Ancor, what's up? Yeah. His first question is, here would be my question. <laughs> a conflict is brewing in this country that has already become ugly and threatens to become much worse. What are the best strategies to calm it down peacefully and how can the LP take leadership in helping out? Ask questions and listen. And once we listen is, is then, again, it goes to when, when we're listening to what the, the problems are, then you can start to, to you know, kind of figure, okay, here's the problem that the person's presenting that is to them. How does it apply to our principles? If we instantly go in and say, principles, principles, and we're just like shooting principles at them and it has no impact on their life. Like they're like, I don't give a shit about property rights right now. Like I'm more worried about name, name whatever the issue is in their life, right? 
if we're approaching that issue as the, our number one issue, they're not going to listen. They're going to, they're going to turn away. So what we need to do is say, what's up? Talk to me. What, what is your problem? And let them explain what their issue is, whether it's an issue about uh, climate change, whether it's an issue with police brutality, whether it's an issue about the government lockdowns, whatever the issue is, ask the question, then just shut up and listen. And this is actually one of the things we, I, I do in my sales training with my, my team is I, I say, you know, one thing I, I want everybody to do is to practice active listening. And, and what that requires is to, to find yourself talking probably about 60 um, percent less than the other person. So you should be speaking maybe like 40 to 35% of the time. The other percent of the time should be the other person because they should be telling you a story. Hey guys, this is Freckles from the Freckles and Brit show. Our sponsor today is Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let my awesome co-host Brit explain. First of all, it's free. Also, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Those are some great features. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more other platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. So if you're asking open-ended questions, that's what I like to do is, is um, if you're trying to uh, elicit a, a actual response from somebody that you actually want to hear the response you can learn, you need to ask open-ended questions. It's very much like in, in lawyer, right? If you're asking a direct question, it's, did you do this on this day? Yes or no. Versus what did you do on May 14th? And then, and the conversation is different, right? So it may 14th, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. And you can elaborate. And then that gives you the chance as the person asking the question to learn more information. So to, to Anchor's question, we need to, to ask more questions. We need to listen. And then once we listen, we need to, to take what we've heard and apply it to the principle and then and present it in, in a form of value and showing you know, whether it's a, a video. So for example, Matt Kibbe over at Free the People is doing some of the best work in this, telling stories that appeal to people's emotions. And, and, and here's the reality, right? Ben Shapiro, what's his most famous tweet? Facts don't care about your feelings. Bah, it kills me because you wanna know what? Here's the reality. People care about feelings though. Facts don't care about feelings, but people care about feelings. So what we need to do is we need to appeal to those feelings. And the way we appeal to those feelings are by telling stories. And, and you know, Matt Kibbe has been doing great work. I mean, he did a, a whole documentary with Thomas Massey about living off the grid. I have shared that video with my lefty friends. None of them knew Thomas Massey or, or was a Republican congressman. Not one, but they loved the, the documentary because they were like, He's living a sustainable lifestyle. He's entirely off the grid. He, he, you know, farm, all of his farm is, is all his, like he's not, you know, in, in, he's not having his massive carbon footprint. As soon as I say he's a libertarian Republican congressman from Kentucky, their jaws hit the floor. And that's how we win because we show people, listen, we all want the same thing. We want a clean environment. Look at this guy actually doing it. Oh, by the way, he's completely the opposite of what you think he is in terms of his, his politics. And that is how we win by showing people again, what are our principles look like in action and how they actually do um, end up saying what we're, they're, they're going to accomplish what we said they're going to accomplish. In this case, you know, Massey, it's a, clean, it's a clean environment, whether it's talking about defunding the police. I mean, telling stories and using those stories, that's how we're going to be able to change people's hearts and minds and actually have uh, some, some success in lasting libertarian uh, principles there, Anchor. Good question. I miss Anchor, too. He's living in Philly and he moved. So Bye, Anchor. Go yeah, back. good guy. I, so I used to be the, uh, the chair for AFF Philly here. Um, and just in, in life, I, I've got too much going on. I just couldn't give it the attention I deserve. But in one of my events before he actually moved um, out, of, uh, out of Philly, I got to meet Anchor. Great guy. So um, thank you, Anchor, for, for the question.
Awesome. Here's another one from him then. Okay. Oh, another one. Also, how do we feel about Michael Malice's observation that the corporate press is the enemy of the people? If we agree, 100%. what can podcast hosts and listeners do better to more quickly displace their influence? To displace corporate media's influence. Um, be louder, honestly. Um, and that means sometimes utilizing channels that corporate press isn't utilizing. So like, think about it. Where did podcasts really get their their reach and it was using alternative forms of media like itunes or twitter or facebook for marketing um myspace for for artists spotify for up-and-coming artists there are alternatives out there that are bypassing corporate media and, and i think what is the responsibility for folks especially in the liberty movement to to reach people is to constantly be utilizing those new uh, forms of, of technology and those new innovations to help promote liberty so if you're looking for open source um so let's 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 take his, his question directly for corporate media right if you truly want an open source like means of, of having a conversation without any gatekeepers, minds.com. Bill Ottman made minds.com. It, it will only be taken, any content is only taken down if it's illegal, right? So if, if, if government officials come in, that's the only time. So how do we bypass? That's how you bypass is you start to, to have those market solutions um, start to rise up. And, it, and then it's on us to actually support them, right? So it's one thing for the, the solution to, to rise up. Now it's on us to, to, to actually utilize it. So I've been going on my way and I actually made it sure I downloaded the app and put it on my phone because I want to start using Minds more, more frequently. Because, I mean, guys, I've been flagged on, on Facebook probably like five or six times on my Facebook page for things I found on Facebook. And I'm like, how am I getting flagged for something I shared that I found on Facebook? But I am. And it's because I think I'm a libertarian page. And I, I know that it's just probably a matter of one or two more strikes. My Facebook page is gone forever. So if that's the case... All I have is Twitter. Twitter is not exactly libertarian friendly. So, you know, I, I'm kind of, you have to prepare for the future. And, and I think that means setting yourself up so you're, you're safe, but also, you know, making sure that you're, you are constantly having a means of controlling, uh, you know, your, your ability to, to have your own message conveyed. And that's kind of, you know, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Jason Stapleton too much, but um, that's one of the things he talks about is controlling your income, controlling um, you know, the, the network, being basically your own little island that in the event that it came down to it, that you're able to be self-sufficient. Um, and that's kind of the way I think the world's going to go too, is that while we're as connected as ever, we also are going to find ourselves becoming as independent as ever because I think we're starting to realize that the people that were supposed to be like the betters that were looking out for our better interests, they don't know anything. Like, it's like that meme. It's like, I need an adult. And then you realize you're an adult. It's like, I need an adultier adult. That's like, there are no more adultier adults. Like you realize now, I think a lot of people are, that the emperor has no clothes. Like the people who are in positions of power, they're, they're, they're as clueless as the rest of us are. They're pretending. And, and I, I mean, Cuomo, he did 111 straight days of those stupid press conferences acting like he knew everything that was happening in New York. I mean, sure, he sent thousands of, of old nursing home people to die because he was putting COVID patients back in. But man, he did those press conferences like he knew exactly what he was talking about. And, and I mean, that I think that's, Part of the problem is that you have these these institutions that have have so co-opted the, the mainstream media. I mean, the Democrat Party is essentially uh, the, the corporate media at this point, and and it's not. I don't think it's controversial to acknowledge that anymore, is it? Like, I think we all can acknowledge, like, pretty much all the. I mean, except for Fox, pretty much, and Fox is becoming more mainstream day by day. They're all pretty much you know a, a variation of some press arm, and, and and that's not just like hyperbole. I mean, like. George Stephanopoulos, ABC, I think he is, right? He used to literally be like the, the head of the press for, for the Clintons. Like that, that he's, 
acting as an objective journalist. Chris Cuomo is Andrew Cuomo's brother. Like, how how are we looking at the media and thinking they're they're not biased? How they're not, you know, they're objective? Okay. Like, and, no, and I think people are starting to, to not buy it anymore. And that's why I think podcasts, um, independent media, like, I mean, YouTube is probably going to turn into more of a corporate um, entity at some point. So um, I'm sure like library.io, that's, you know, other alternatives like that, they're going to start to crop up more and more. Um, you know, the marketplace, it's, it's going to answer. And it already is starting to do some stuff like that. I mean, Dave, what's the thing that Dave Rubin just did um, with uh, Peterson? Wasn't it like an in- independent media thing that they were uh, doing? I heard they were talking about it. I didn't know that it was like released or anything. But, but it's like a pay for media, right? I, I it's something like, so like people actually pay a subscription. It's like a Netflix. You, you pay like an MRC basically. And, and that's what you pay for media. But you know, that's, it, it's an opportunity cost. You're willing to pay that, you know, that recurring fee because now you're, you're curating media that you want to see. And that, again, that again, comes down to us engaging in that marketplace. Yeah. I think I would add to that too, that we need to be entertaining. I, I, we, <laughs> yes. we do, I, I hate to say it, I, I, but I actually, it's like, I've been saying this for months and months. If you're not entertaining, people don't want to watch you. People watch MSNBC because they're engaged in what they're saying. They agree with what they're saying. They're entertained by what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, people watch Fox because they're entertained by what they're saying. They're engaged in what they're saying. When Tucker Carlson speaks or Rachel Maddow speaks, even if every once in a while you're like, ah, you know, you're mm-hmm. still like, oh, you know, like a lot of that is what I believe in. They're saying it really loud. And they're saying it really angry. And I like that. Or like, you know, the, it's, it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have, we cannot forget that. I listen to a lot of libertarian podcasts and I've watched our show from the beginning. And I'm sorry, Freckles, I'm just going to say it about us. Sometimes we're boring. And I'm like, if it's not, if it's boring, who's going to watch it? So it's like, let's try. I mean, I think we've both said it though, where we've been like, okay, we let's, we want to be entertaining. Number one, sorry that the news has to be that way. First of all, we're not the news. Don't, we are not the news. (laughs) (laughs) The most uh, trusted name in news. But you said something earlier. You said that you hate the quote um, that Ben Shapiro has that facts don't care about your feelings. And then immediately after that, you went, ugh. You had a visceral reaction. That is not, facts don't care about your feelings. It's the greatest slogan of all time because it's literally makes people feel something they either love it or they hate it it's not about facts it's not about your feelings or it's not about facts it is literally about your feelings about that quote that's why ben shapiro is ben shapiro that's why he is the way he is because that man i i i I used to agree with a lot of what he said i disagree with a lot but he is passionate about the way he speaks he knows how to speak to an audience. Smart as a whip. He is, oh, yeah, yeah, he's extremely smart. Have you heard that his and wife is a doctor? Is she? Yeah. Holy cow. Breaking news. <laughs> the same thing. But on the other end of that, and I'm probably going to get hate whatever, is that we have Steven Crowder, who is literally a court jester. I mean, I think he's a complete <laughs> idiot. But he entertains people. He's entertaining the way he's like, Stephen Credit Carter, credits do though. His change my mind segment. I love his change my mind segment. I okay, do. Yeah, I, I do. I, I'm not saying I disagree with him. I just, sometimes he, he gets on my nerves and he even says oh, yeah. he's, a, he's a jackass. Like I, I, he is, he, he, he's like, like, it's a he shit. reminds it's, me of that kid in high school that yeah. thought he was a lot cooler than he really was. 
that you just want to take down a notch and you're just like, but that's my personal feeling. That's just my personal feeling about him. But he makes people feel a certain way. Ben Shapiro makes mm. every time Ben Shapiro speaks, even if you find out later maybe he was wrong about something. I have he very rarely is though. He's very astute when it comes to things. Uh, the way he speaks about certain things, it's like even when it's like the overall subject, he might be wrong on. He is very astute and you know just saying the facts that make him sound better yeah but the way he says things makes people that rally around ben shapiro it's like a win for them every time it's a win and when steven crowder kind of does that like owns like when he kind of owns owns the libs yeah owns the libs like like it makes people like oh yeah that's why you see all those videos on facebook where you just go you know owning libs owning over and over and then suddenly trump makes sense yeah (laughs) that's why trump's there he owned the list. I'll say this. I don't know how much of Trump is like genius or stupidity. Uh, I really don't. I, but I think he says, and he said something a couple of weeks ago where he says on, you know, a chokehold sounds like a, a good thing. Like, I don't remember his exact word. He said it making a chokehold sound like a good thing. And then went on to say the rest of it. And I guarantee in my mind nobody can convince me otherwise the reason he started out saying that a chokehold seems like a good thing at first is because he knew that people would take that first part of it and cut off the rest of what he said where it's like it turns out it's a really bad thing blah blah he knew people would take the headline of it and run with it and then he could turn around and be like that's not what i said he knew he didn't even have to do it he knew that his followers the people that support him would turn around and be like, oh, look, they're so stupid. Look what they're very doing. good people on both sides. He exact does, same thing. He does, exact he does same the thing. exact same thing. He starts every time he it's like he has it down to a science. You're telling me that this guy doesn't know when he says the most awful thing and then comes back around and you read the whole quote and you're like, hey, man, they really twisted that. Like what they really twisted what he said because he went on to explain it and they just ran with the search part. I know that guy has to know. I know the people around him have to know that what he's saying, he's saying it on purpose so that he mm-hmm. can make, so that he can, so that he, cause he knows he doesn't have to create a straw man at that point. Right. Because the media will do it for him and he can yes. just like, look what they did. And that's the, the genius of Trump. And, and, I think that speaks to a lot of what Trump is. There, there's no substance to Trump. Trump is a marketer. And, and that's, that's all well and good, but I think it's indicative of Republicans to acknowledge what he is and what he isn't. And he's not, he's not a principled person. He's not a Republican by what it used to mean when I was a Republican in 2010 for the Tea Party. He, he's, he's Trump. And, and I think what the danger of the GOP right now is that they're, they're attaching Trump as he himself has become a principle. Like either you believe in the Trump or you don't. It's like us with the nap, you know? So if you don't believe in the Trump, then you can't be part of the GOP. And, and I think that might be um, a, a big issue for the GOP, especially after 2024. Cause like, it, it, I mean, 2020, you're either you're with Trump or you're not with Trump in the GOP. 2024 is going to be, you know, kind of like the, the, the moment, like, okay, what's the GOP going to become? Is it going to be the Trump, party still 
Or is it going to be, you know, more of like this Rand Paul, Ben Shapiro, Mike Lee, Ted Cruz party? Or is it going to be a Tucker Carlson, Tom Cotton kind of party? And, and I think we're kind of at this, this, um, this tipping point where you, you see both of those sides starting to, to rise up in the GOP because they, they know what's up. Like if Trump loses in 2020, like it's on, it, it's time, it, it, it's, it's game time for 2024. And that's, that's what they're looking for is, is basically to see if Trump loses, it's time to take over. If he wins, I think 2024 could actually be very interesting. I think you could easily see another one of the Trumps. Like Donald Trump Jr. could easily be like, the, like oh, well, I'm going to run next. And, and he could run on that name and, and the principle of Trump. And, and I think a lot of the Trump supporters would stay on board with him because it's the last name. And, and the, the Trump has the become the principle. And, that, and what does Trump sell best? His name. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, I think that when this whole thing started with Trump, I think most people, most educated people knew that they were throwing a Hail Mary in with Trump. Because let's be honest, we all thought Hillary was going to win. We all thought, I think everybody thought Hillary was going to win. And Trump was like that Hail Mary shot that they, they like, okay, we know that this isn't the guy, but this guy, this guy is polarizing enough. This guy is going to rally a base. So let's let, like, we'll let this happen. Even though the establishment all pretended that they like, this is not like Ted Cruz and all of them Mm -hmm. grandstanding. Like, I'm not going to, yeah, you all, you all knew what was going on. Every one of you knew because the GOP knew at that point, you can't stand on principle, not against Hillary, not against feelings. Exactly what you said. You can't stand on principle against feelings. Yep. And that's the the truth of the matter is, is every time Hillary Clinton goes on the air to speak about how she was wrong, I have to laugh because I'm like, no, you were just outsmarting Trump. And that's why she hates it so much. That's why she, she feels she was wrong because I mean, I think honestly, losing the Trump was worse than losing the election. She could have lost the election to anyone else. And I don't think it would have bothered her as much as it did with no, Trump. No, and I don't think she would have lost the election to anyone else, but they threw that, they threw that like last quarter, like just, you know, two seconds on the clock. And it was just, you know, it was just a great, like they had to put him in there and it was either going to fail spectacularly or he was just going to be president for life. Like, but it was also a very dangerous game to play because now you have people that legitimately think like he is like a marathon runner, like Trump, like this is the play that we always play. Like, no man, that was what you do when you're losing the game. Now we have to get, you know, back in order. I, I am. I feel like Trump has kind of kind of feel like Trump hasn't done the things that I would have wanted Trump to do that he said he was going to do. He, you know, you can blame the Republicans, you can blame Congress, you can blame whatever, but really he's their leader. If you go to McDonald's and they don't make your burger right, you don't yell at the guy that made it, you yell at the manager. So we still have Obamacare. We had a huge chance to, to, scale back um abortion and instead now like we, we could have changed healthcare, we could have changed those things. so instead we have obamacare and now we're moving towards like even more of a medicare state and now we have some states that just let you kill babies like the day before they do like yep. no big so deal. this is what happens when you throw in that like that play like then you have this dangerous situation where it becomes volatile because you threw the maltov cocktail in you immediately disperse the crowd, but then what's coming back in when smoke's cleared is not what it's not what you wanted. So right. I, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. My 
my gut tells me that it's going to be a huge Trump win. But and, and I think that's why we have all this stuff going on right now, because now the left is trying to do what the right it's is. It's their, their Hail Mary. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're throwing it. And I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that, um, that I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I think that the smartest thing that Republicans could do is kind of what they did is where they went in and said like, yeah, George Floyd's murder was ridiculous. We need to stop. I think more Republicans need to be like, yeah, we need police reform. We need, it's like, you can see it. You can see where they're trying to unify on this issue. And the left is like, oh no, we're not let, like the left, it's, it's, it's it, like it could backfire. So the left has to continue to double down. If they you know what Trump should do, this, then it could unify. Trump should just decriminalize weed. Like, I think yep. so too. If he did, he'd win. Yeah, he that's win. the thing. Like, gosh, a lot of people are one issue voters on that thing alone. Like, yeah, probably most of the South, but like random northern states that haven't legalized yet. Just, yeah, no. It, I feel November like 1st. It, November 1st, he did that. I can guarantee you'd win. I wonder 100%. if he will. I wonder if he will. I wouldn't I be surprised. Uh, honestly, not- like, we're at the point where, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's Hail Mary every single fucking play, right. it seems like. And, that, and that's kind of what politics in 2020 has become. I, and for better or for worse, right? If, if, he were to, if he were to go that route, he would only – I don't even know if he can, const- like, legally do that because it, it would be, it'd be hard because it, now you're starting to get into, like, a state's rights versus it's, – it, I mean, the federal – I'm not sure if he could federally, it's, it's federally just decriminalize it's a schedule, it. It's a scheduling. It's a schedule yeah. one right. drug. So, so it has to be like rescheduled probably first and then reclassified afterwards. And then probably yeah. go to the States. And I'm fine with that personally. That's if the fine, states, yeah. yeah. If the States want to legalize versus not, that's fine. Uh, Which I think they're that, doing. Like yep. they're already doing that. Like it's already, you're already in Colorado. It's already yeah. happening there. I'm seeing it happen around me here in New yeah. Jersey and Pennsylvania. Like, but with Trump, we, there was a, a, a chain reaction that set off that this is, we might get Trump in 2020, 2024. I guarantee we are going to have like some super Elizabeth Warren type president, some super leftist president. And we are going to ping pong back and forth so far that like 2032, we're going to have robot Reagan. I guarantee it. Like it's going to go back and forth. Like I look, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm putting my money on it now. It's going to be robot Reagan in 2032. Like, robot Reagan. There you it's, go. It's, it's just going to, we're just going to ping pong back and forth unless Unless we stop being played by by political parties, I mean, yeah, and that's where we come in. That's where our job is to change people's minds and say, like, hey, both parties suck. So, okay, I know this went way longer than I promised both of you that it would. Um, You're good. You're good. We live for this. Yep, (laughs) this is my second job. (laughs) Brian, uh, do you want to tell? we're brand new guys Um, (laughs) you guys want to tell do you want to tell everyone Brian uh, where they can find you sure yeah so um, it's pretty um, easy I'm at B Nichols Liberty pretty much everywhere so if you search at B Nichols Liberty on Facebook Twitter or uh, or minds.com you'll find me Um, but as for the show it's BrianNicholsShow.com pretty easy all 120 episodes plus a bunch of bonus episodes are all there 
Great episodes ranging from Matt Kibbe to Justin Amash, Thomas Massey to Jeffrey Tucker, and a slew of amazing um, candidates. I mean, Joe Jorgensen, Libertarian presidential candidate, back episode 103. Um, mutual guest that you and I have both had on, J uh, Jacob Hornberger, episode 100. Um, I I've had so many great conversations with a lot of really smart people, and, and honestly, people who are infinitely smarter than I am. And that's really my goal at my show is to have people on my show to talk about the issues in, in a way that people care about. And, and ultimately my main goal is to leave my audience feeling educated and enlightened and informed. So if that's the case, um, I'd love people to head over, give me a subscribe over on an Apple Pie, uh, Apple podcast. And also, um, you know, when you're over there, a five-star rating and review would be very, very appreciated. But uh, one more time, social media at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, minds.com, anywhere you want to go. Uh, and email me, brian at briannicholshow.com. All right. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. If you ever want to have just normal guests, then Freckles <laughs> and I are available. <laughs> for sure. We can, we can fill in for someone amazing. <laughs> Uh, you guys are amazing in your own right and i'm definitely so like I, I will tell you is that i'm looking to have more libertarian podcasters you guys fritz um i, I have had the lines of liberty crew but you know i want to have more of those voices because i think it's what we're doing this is how we we will change the future and it requires us to reach the people that we're traditionally not reaching out to and that is honestly why I think what you guys are doing is so great because you're reaching people, honestly, I, I could never reach. So that's why I think we need more voices and I'd love to have you guys on for sure. And we hope you'll come back, maybe do a live show with us so we can yeah. have some of the audience. I'm sure they have lots more questions. Um, <laughs> wish we would have got to more of them today, but we are out of time. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. You can catch us on YouTube every Tuesday, DLive, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor FM, Listen Notes, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on our newest collab, thefreedomscoop.com. Be sure to hop on over and check out our content along with some other great creators. You guys, we can't do the show without you. We appreciate all of you. Um, if you'd like to support the show, click on the link in the description uh, or go to anchor.fm and click the support tab. Your small monthly donation helps to sustain future episodes. Again, I'm Britt. You can find me on Twitter at Tweets by Britt. And my always fabulous co-host is Freckles. You can find her at Freckled Liberty on Twitter. Uh, last but not least, a very big thank you to our guest today, Brian Nichols. You can find him, The Brian Nichols Show, and on Twitter at Liberty. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys next time. Bye.